You know, I did not, um, last, last Thursday night we had the baptism with the children at the end of vacation, of, at the end of the Bible school, and I was, had it in my heart that I should teach a little bit on baptism and what that was, and then, then Thursday night the Lord's like, no, no, not tonight. I'm like, Okay. And, um, and then yesterday I felt prompted that I need to be, be ready to uh, teach on it this morning. I'm like, well, Lord, why, why does water baptism need? That's not something I ever have thought that might go away. I mean, that's pretty much just an essential right there within the Word. And so if you read your Bible, you're going to see it. It doesn't even need taught on. If you at least look at the Word as an authority, as the authority, right? And yet again, so much in today's society is under attack, and in the church today is under attack, and things that I didn't think that would need taught on at all suddenly need taught on. Things like racism. By the way, you can go back online in our archives and you can find a sermon from, I think, 2016 that we preached on racism. And there's only one race. It's called the human race. Stop putting a color before it. All right? We're all made one in Jesus. And that, that's all that needs to be said on that this morning. But we need to sometimes go back and look at the essentials and say, well, why do we do what we do? Right? And I never thought that we would need to teach to the church the importance of gathering together. I mean, that's just a given. If you're a Christian, a Christian, one of the things you're going to do is gather together. And it is completely anti-Christ to not do so. Come on. Everywhere you look in the New Testament, that's what they did. I mean, social distancing, anti-Jesus. And if you buy into that whole thing and think you have to do it, you are yielding to the anti-Christ. Jesus laid hands on those who He was not supposed to touch. And you and I are supposed to be the same way. So, we're this morning, we're going to just be real clear, is, you know, I didn't think that there a day would ever come where we would need to talk about that, about gathering together, but I never really thought we'd have to talk about water baptism either. And I don't know what the future holds, but let's talk about it now and just make sure we understand it and get it right before that day comes. So let go with me, if you would, over to Matthew 28. We're going to begin there. Jesus commanded baptism. We're going to see that in, in several places. However, uh, the word baptism, it's a word that was not translated into the English. It was just brought straight over the same word. And why they did that, I'm not, I'm not certain. Some of the new translations will, um, the, uh, the TP 2009, I think it's called, uh, that one there, just for the word baptism, always says immersion, which is really a better translation, immersion. Every time you read baptism, it says immerse or immersion. And, um, but the word baptism, it comes from the word uh, bapto, and you know, I don't know if I'm saying that exactly right, but it means to, to completely, wholly cover with fluid. And it, in a specific sense, it means to in, in water. And that it's going, you're going to dip them. That's what the word baptism means, to dip. In fact, um, I like how 
Pastor Dale said, he said, you know, it was, he wasn't called John the Baptist, he was called John the Dipper. <laughs> I mean, really, that's what the word means, right? So, so John the Dipper, or John the Immerser, you know, you would call him. I know that sounds funny, but, but uh, John the Baptist, his last name was not Baptist, and he wasn't part of the Baptist denomination. But that's where the Baptist denomination gets their name, right? Is because they dip people into the water. Well, the, the other uh, more frequently used word is baptizo, and that word means to, to make whelmed, that is fully wet. It's used only in the New Testament. I'm reading from Strong's um, Dictionary. It means um, there was ceremonial baptisms, and uh, especially of the ordinance of Christian baptism, and it means to wash or to baptize, to make fully wet. And so... We know that there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and um, we teach on that many times here and talk about that, and that's part of our everyday life. And what we don't talk about so often is water baptism because, well, why do we need to? We all know that's required. So let's look at scriptural instructions and examples. In Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, Jesus is giving His final instructions to the disciple before He is taken up into heaven. And this is what he says in verse 19. He says, go therefore, or he's saying basically all authority had been given to him, and in this authority he gives an instruction. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, or all people groups is what that really means, baptizing them, immersing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And then I like this part so much. And remember, I am with you always, all the way to the end. All the way to the end of the age. So, he, he, Jesus' instruction is to go and to baptize. You know, baptism, if you have been baptized or you're wanting to be baptized, baptism is a commitment to discipleship. A commitment to discipleship. A commitment to follow the instructions of Jesus. Let's look at Mark chapter 16. We certainly know by example Jesus was baptized. He had John the Baptist baptize Him in order to fulfill righteousness. He was baptized. And you might say, yeah, but Jesus was under the Old Covenant yeah, not so fast. Jesus taught new covenant truths. Jesus lived new covenant truth. Jesus preached new covenant doctrine, not old covenant. He came to set that stuff, fulfill that stuff, and so he taught the new way. So let's look here in Mark 16, and again, we're at the point where Jesus is giving the great commission, the, uh, giving the final instructions to the disciples. And in verse 15, then He said to them, go into all the world, preach the good news, the Gospel, to the whole creation. I like how one of the, one of the students at VBS this week, I was sitting in a class listening and I overheard they were talking about this thing, this, this Scripture. And he goes, does that mean we need to preach to the animals too? They're part of creation. I'm like I like that. You know, just preach to everyone. I said, well, I preached to chickens before I ever preached to people. As a little boy, I'd go through our chicken house and we had 12,000 
900 chickens as captive audience in that building and I'd preach a storm and they'd all look at me and say, Amen, you know. (laughs) Someone's meal was more blessed later in life. (laughs) So go into all the world, preach the gospel to the whole creation. Now listen, whoever believes and is baptized is immersed, will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Believing comes first. The believing comes first. That's why we don't baptize little babies. Because they aren't able to believe anything yet. Right? Some denominations baptize little babies. We don't here. We baptize as soon as the child says they want to be baptized. Or as soon as they make Jesus the Lord of their life, baptize them then. You know, my boys were baptized in our bathtub at home. When they made Jesus the Lord of their life, we went and filled the tub. You can do the same. You don't have to wait for for the pastor to baptize. Come on, the Great Commission was to every individual. You have just as much authority to baptize someone. Yeah, you, even 13 years old. You have just as much authority to baptize someone as I do. Okay? So believing comes first. You know, in order to make Jesus your Lord, you have to believe in your heart and then it comes out of your mouth. And confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and has been raised from the dead and thou shalt be saved. Well, here, so the believing part is essential and then be immersed in water. And uh, you can keep on reading here. And he goes, um, he said, and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes. And if they should drink anything deadly, it will never harm them. They will lay hands on the sick. Not social distance. And they will get well. More promises. They will get well. And then, gives us just a brief summation. says, and then speaking to them, the Lord Jesus was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the Word by the accompanying signs. Now, certainly, um, the first step was for them to believe and to be baptized. Let's go over to Romans chapter 6. So we have Jesus' words on it. His instruction on it. Let's look at what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Roman believers. In chapter 6, let's look at verse 3. And he explains the importance or the symbolizations of baptism. Or, he just starts in verse 3. He said, are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? That's a question. Therefore, We were buried with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. Not the old way, the new way. For we have been joined with Him in the likeness of His death. We will certainly also be in the likeness of His resurrection. So like He was dead, so are you. Like He was alive, so are you. The little, the little one that said uh, baptism is where they drown people, he was more right than what us adults think he was. There's a death that takes place down under that water. <laughs> Who wants to sign up to be killed? Alright, which verse were we at? Verse 6, I believe. 
For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin's claims. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him, for in the light of the fact that he died, he died to sin once for all. But in light of the fact that he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now in verse 3, he began all this off with saying you were baptized with Christ. So everything that he says next is talking about that illustration of baptism. In Galatians 3.27 it says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So we know that when you go under the water, your death has taken place. When you come up out of the water, that's what the, that's what the symbolization is going on. We're going to explain a little bit more about that as we go forward. As you come up out of that water, there is a resurrection that has taken place. And you have put something on. You've taken something off. You've put something on. What have you put on? If you've been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ, is what Galatians tells us. And if you, if you uh, in Galatians a chapter earlier, 2.20, he writes this, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Well, when was he crucified with Christ? They didn't put him up on the cross at the same time Jesus was put on the cross. Right? So, he's not talking about his actual physical crucifixion, but he is talking about his crucifixion, right? I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in this body of flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's go to 1 Peter, 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, 18 and 19 are talking about how that Jesus suffered for sins once for all and that the righteous was made unrighteous and all of that. And then he begins down in, in verse 20. Um, he's speaking about those in the past that were disobedient. Verse 20, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while an ark was being prepared, in it a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. Now understand that the ark is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. The ark is representative of Jesus. And the flood of water depicts the judgment of God. It represents death and destruction. The judgment in the flood. All those that were not in the ark were completely lost and cut off. All those that were in the ark we're saved. Well, isn't it the same way for you and I? In Jesus or out of Jesus? In Jesus, we couldn't get more saved. But if you're outside of Jesus, you can't get more lost. I don't care if you lived a good life. I don't care if you've never committed all the horrible sins that most of your neighbors have committed. If you've not made Jesus the Lord of your life, then you're outside of Him and you're just as lost as a goose in a snowstorm. The ark is the only way of salvation. And the ark saves you from a watery grave. Jesus. See, your death is required. 
Your death is required. And as we put you under the water of death and judgment, that's what the water represents, death and judgment. As we put you under that water, Jesus' death becomes your own death. That's what that baptism is representing. You know, Jesus did not say, if you believe and get around to baptism. But much of the church world today treats it that way. We come across people that have been saved for 20 years and never been baptized. What is that? Let's get back to obedience to the Word. It says, if you believe and are baptized, you shall be saved. And Peter will read a little bit further here in a moment, and he, he brings more clarity to that. But as you go down underneath that water, underneath the water that represents death and judgment, just like it did at the flood, and you go under that water, Jesus' death now becomes your death. It represents your death. Because your death absolutely had to be. It's required. And He paid the price of your death so that you don't have to pay it. As you're brought back up out of that water of death and judgment, you are brought into the resurrection life of God. The miraculous resurrection life of God. There is something divine and miraculous that takes place in that uh, symbolic death and resurrection. There is a cleaning of the conscience that takes place. I'm telling you, if you struggle with something, overcoming something, I don't care if you've been baptized 12 times before. If you are really struggling with something in your life that you just can't get victory over, have somebody baptize you. There is a dividing line between what was past and what is future when you are baptized. We don't just declare Jesus our Lord once in life, right? But we declare Him Lord all the time. So why can't I also not do a symbolic death and resurrection more than once, right? So if you're dealing with something and you're struggling with something, I urge you, you know what, there's a way to victory. Get baptized, leave it down under the water and come up without it. And allow that flood, you know, the flood, there was a, that was the dividing line between what had happened in the past and what was in the future. Allow that watery grave, that baptism, put the, leave the past there and come up out um, renewed. Peter says it this way. He says in verse 21, he says, baptism, which corresponds to this. Actually, I think I'll read in the uh, NIV. I'm going to just start at verse 20 and read down through it again. God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body. That's not, it's not about having a physical bath. But it's the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. There is a clearing of the conscience that uh, I only know of one time that I've ever heard taught on by one person, and that was by LaVere Soper. Talked about, uh, we were just having a conversation, and he talked about how that, that's never taught. And I'm like, wow, you're right. I've never heard that taught. That baptism will do that. But yet it's right here. Verse 22, uh, no, 
We weren't done in 21. This water symbolizes a baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at, the, is at God's right hand. We know that other scripture says He's at the right hand of God making intercession for you and I. And He's at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to Him. So be baptized, die to the old self, be raised to new life and a clean conscience, and all things made new. If we look at examples and someone say, well, how did they do it in the church? Let's real quickly look at a few examples in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Peter gets up, the the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happens, and they are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then he preaches a message to them, and 3,000 people come into the kingdom. And if you look down in um, verse 37, when they heard his sermon, they, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what must we do? Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus the Messiah for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, which is the opposite of not gathering and social distancing, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. We can't make it too plain. That's why I keep referring to what the things that are going on in life today that are constantly surrounding us. We don't want to be like the frog in the pot that just kind of becomes accustomed to it and then finally yields and acquiesces to it, right? But we want to stand firm and strong. I mean, come on, if you just look around into our society... Uh, stop, stop looking at all the physical things and start looking at the spirit that's behind it driving every agenda. Whether it be a mask, whether it be business closures and destructions, whether it be the whole thing is driven by spirits of fear and we just aren't going to yield to any of it. Um, let's look at another example here. If we go, um, let's see here, a couple pages further. Yeah, let's go to Acts chapter 9. Nope, 8. We have Simon. The Lord speaks to Simon and by, by an angel. Sends an angel to, to Philip. I said Simon, I meant Philip. And he, in verse 26 of chapter 8, he says, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to desert Gaza. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, a high official of Candace, queen of Ethiopia, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb is silent before its shear, so he does not open his mouth. See, if Jesus would have opened his mouth, he could have completely absolved himself of every accusation. But he knew the price had to be paid, so he purposely did not open his mouth. Verse 33, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. 
Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch replied to Philip, I ask, you, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? Himself or another person? So Philip opened his mouth and began to preach the good news about Jesus beginning from that scripture. And as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there's water. So for those of you who think maybe the baptism wasn't about water, but it was only the baptism of the Holy Spirit. No, there's two baptisms. And he says, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, well, if you believe, remember, believing comes first. If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Man, right there. That's the best declaration. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You know, Peter said that to, to Jesus at one point. He said, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Then he ordered the chariot to stop and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch did not see him any longer. But he went his way rejoicing. Philip found himself in Azotus. And passing through, he was evangelizing all the towns until he came to Caesarea. You know, when they shut airplanes down, for all of you with a missionary heart, when they shut all the airports and airplanes down, it's just time for more translations to take place. From this place to that place. Come on, let's believe it. We've just gotten lazy in our faith because it's so easy to travel, right? It's time that you and I say, hey, you know what? These limitations aren't going to stop us. Let's go preach the gospel. All right, if you look in the next chapter, chapter 9, we're just looking at examples of baptism. Saul, he was hit by that bright light and the Lord's voice as he was going to persecute Christians, and so they take him, and Ananias has a vision, and the Lord says, go to him, and so he, he arrives in verse 17 of chapter 9, so Ananias left and entered the house, and then he placed his hands on him, on Saul, and said, brother Saul, see it's obvious that Saul already believes, he's called him brother, says, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. So here we see um, Paul himself was baptized. If you'll go on to the next chapter, chapter 10, this is the story of Cornelius, the Gentiles, where the Gentiles received salvation. And... Peter shows up at their house. He preaches an extremely short sermon. And there is such great faith in this house and expectation. They had, you know, faith prepares. Faith prepares. And there was a preparation that took place. And they prepared. Peter shows up. He preaches all of a paragraph. And yeah, it was a short sermon. Later when Peter tells the story in Acts, he said, I only began to speak. And this happened. So he, he didn't omit any of his sermon. It's all there. And in verse 44, it says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. Why? Because as he preached, they believed. So this is even before they're standing up saying, Okay, I believe. Would you lay hands on me? Baptize me? Do all these things? They just believed. And the Holy Spirit was so excited about it, He's like, I'm not going to wait. Just jumped down on all of them, right? The Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the word. The circumcised believers, that would be the Jews that Peter had brought with him because he needed witnesses for why he was there because he was breaking all kinds of social distancing rules. 
by being in their house. I mean, come on, their law was that they could not go into a Gentile's house. It's just another word for social distancing. I mean, not only was it their, their Jewish law, but it was their religious law. And so he can't go in. Well, he takes these guys with him to bear witness what's happening. And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For, how did they know? Well, here's why. It says, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. That's how they knew. Then Peter responded, can anyone withhold water? There we have it. Can anyone withhold water? So it is baptism in water. Withhold water and prevent these from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And so he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and they asked him to stay for a few days and they just had a great revival. If you'll go down and you'll look at... um, Let's go over to chapter 16. Paul and Silas go out on a missionary journey. They wind up in prison and... They're praising the Lord in the middle of the night. A precision earthquake hits that breaks chains and doors open, but not walls down. That's an amazing earthquake. They're set free, and, um, but yet they're all in the jail. The, the jailer who was asleep, and it's pitch dark, can't see anything. He thinks they've all run out. He's ready to kill himself. How did Paul know this? Well, because he had a word of knowledge, apparently. He saw in the Spirit, because it's dark, they couldn't see anything. And he says, no, don't hurt yourself because we're all here. And, and so the jailer calls for a light and they bring the light in. And in, in verse 29, then the jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe, that's the first step, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household." Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. Immediately. When should you be baptized? As soon as you make Jesus the Lord of your life. Just just jump on it immediately. If you'll go over to chapter 19, you see um, Paul comes into Corinth. And he is traveling through the interior regions and he comes to Ephesus and he finds some disciples and, and he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? See, if, if, the Holy Spirit, if the baptism of the Holy Spirit was automatic as soon as you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he wouldn't have asked this question. But the fact that he asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, means that it's possible they didn't. That's why he's asking the question. And like Peter was preaching to, to the Gentiles, it was all one deal. Man, can't, they believed, were filled with the Holy Spirit, everything all in one fell swoop, right? But in, in some cases, we look in Acts and we see that it didn't happen that way. People were baptized in water. In fact, I skipped over that part. That was maybe in about Acts chapter 4. They were baptized in water and then the disciples showed up and laid hands on them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so you see the difference there. Well, here he asks them the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they told him, no, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Then, now he's puzzled. Because see, if you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of you. It doesn't mean He came on you and baptized you. It means that He came and lived inside of you. The Spirit of Christ. And so, 
he's like, now he's puzzled. He's like, well, then what baptism were you baptized with? How can you be baptized and not know there's a Holy Ghost? Just the fact that you get baptized, you'll know that there's a Holy Spirit because he comes and makes his home in you. And um, they said, well, with John's baptism. And Paul says in verse 4, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, telling the people they should believe in the one who was coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. So here you see water baptism and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, two different things again. And they began to speak in other tongues and prophesy, and there was about 12 men in all. So here we see a number of illustrations on water baptism and what that looked like. Is water baptism something that is absolutely essential for the believer? Yes. Yes. Much of the church world has not treated it that way. Because they all go, well, we know that it's not the water that saves you. Correct. It's not. It's just symbolic of, of what's happened on the inside. Your spirit man being born again, renewed, and the Spirit of Christ living on the inside of you. Yet, Jesus made it very clear. He said, believe and be baptized. Go and baptize. Make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And that is our marching orders. So, if we're going to have a sign-up sheet on the back, if anyone here desires to be baptized and you have not been baptized, then sign up on the uh, sign-up sheet and um, we'll help you with that. Or, find yourself a swimming pool and just deal with it this afternoon. <laughs> or lake, or river. Or... The Bible doesn't specify it needs to be flowing water or clear water. Or Look, the water represents death and destruction. It could be a sewer. Right? I wouldn't recommend that, but I'm just saying. It represents death and destruction. So it doesn't matter if it's clean, clear, running, flowing, holding still, any of that. It's what it represents. And um, each of you, um, if you're going to have a baptism, then I would encourage you, invite some people to come and witness it. Some of your friends. Because that's part of what it is. It's your public declaration that, you know what, I'm making a stand for Jesus. He makes all the difference in my life. Okay, so is that helpful to anybody? I, I, I believe that we need, the gospel is a simple gospel. Sometimes we make it difficult, you know, 12 steps to deliverance for whatever, you know, and, and a lot of those programs are not true deliverance, they're just behavior modification. If you want true deliverance, it means you're going to have to use the name of Jesus against the foul devils that have bound you up and, and address it that way. The ones that have come and tried to oppress you. Alright, I, I know we're early, but I feel, uh, I feel complete in my... So, is that alright with you if we send you out a little bit early today? Take a hold of... Uh, stand if, if you would with me. Grab a hold of your neighbor's hand. Let's pray together. Father, I lift up these Your people to You. And I thank You, Lord, for each one of them. I thank You, Father, for each one listening by internet. Father, You are good. You're good to each one of us. You have made so many things available to us. And Lord, we don't want to squander what You have done for us. We want to receive all of it. 
Thank You for clean consciences. Thank You for the blood of Jesus that removes all unrighteousness. Thank You, Lord, that You have given to us Your right standing. Lord, that we can be come to You boldly, unashamed, and find help from You. That we can find mercy when we need it. That Your grace and Your ability and empowerment is available to us to, to rise up. To rise up. Yes, Lord. Strengthen us on the inside, in our inner person. That we would rise up in faith, Father. That each one of these would, would rise up to new levels of faith, new levels of glory, new levels of authority in You. Open up our understanding, Father, to believe and to see, to know the authority that You've delegated to us. I thank You for it. I thank You, Lord, for the courage that has been imparted to each one. I thank You, Father, for the boldness that You have given I believe that it's already been imparted and like a seed will flourish and grow in the name of Jesus. Father, we lift up this nation and we just pray, Lord, that You touch, that Your hand comes upon Your church in a mighty way, that Your church rise up in this land, rise up on this planet, that Your body, that Your people, that Your individuals would step up, would speak forth, would declare forth the true good news. Lord, where we've already backed down, where we've cowered, where we've yielded or given ground to spirits of fear and manipulation, we repent from that. We reject those things. We turn away from it. Father, we walk in a spirit of freedom, in a spirit of truth, as an example to those around us of your true love, of your deliverance, of your freedom, of your life, of your health. Lord, I ask that you touch our president, our governors, our, our judges, our senators, our house of representatives, our, our town council members, our school board leaders, our teachers, Lord, from one end, our mayors, all the ones that I haven't named, Lord, that are in our government, in different realms. I ask you to encounter them uh, uniquely and individually to them and what's going on in their life. Father, I ask you to impart righteous wisdom to them. I ask you to open up their eyes, send workers to them, to speak life and truth to them, to declare forth the way of light to them. Lord, cause them to be very, very susceptible to you, very open to you. That, that like something contagious, you just get on them and, and they receive of you, Lord, and make you the Lord of their life. Father, those that are in those places and positions that already believe in you, Lord, strengthen them, encourage them, bring people to stand around them, to stand with them. I thank you for this in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, I lift up the churches that have made a stand, especially in California. Father, those that have 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 risen to the occasion and said here we are we will not close we serve you father i ask you to bless them according to your promises bless them according to your word bring people into their congregations cause truth and light to prevail father the accusations of the enemy that come against those churches we just break them down in jesus name they fall as ashes and dust to the ground I thank you, Lord, for deliverance for them. 
Deliverance from the hand of the enemy. Deliverance from these foul devils that are trying to snare up the church in these United States of America. We call for freedom in Jesus' name. Freedom across this land. Freedom in our businesses. Freedom in our day-to-day walk in life. Freedom in the street. Freedom in the church. Freedom in the home. Father, I thank you for your freedom breaking out like the plague, but in a good way. (laughs) Be contagious. Be believers. Walk in love. Open your mouth. Speak. Declare. Be the church family. Someone say amen. We have a time of fellowship downstairs. Everyone is invited. Hug on your neighbor. Love someone. One way we love God is how? Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Church of the Word here at Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Hallelujah. Hey, I've got something pretty exciting to share with you this morning. Yeah. On a Psalms 2930, I got to share this. It says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Jesus and disciples just finished their Passover meal. And now they're stepping out to go to the garden where Jesus is going to suffer as no human being ever suffered before. And then to the cross. Now, what's interesting is they sang a hymn on their way out the door. And that hymn is Psalms 118. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But this is a little gist of it. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Think about Jesus as they're singing this hymn and the words that are coming forth. The Lord is my strength and song and has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does validently. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastised me sore, but he has not given me over unto death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord unto which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and has become my salvation. Verse 24, get this. This is the day that the Lord has made. I shall rejoice and be glad in it. Let's all stand up and and put Jesus in remembrance. He was singing this song on the way to the garden and the cross. He declared that this was the day that the Lord had made. I shall rejoice and be glad in it. Let's all say that together. This is the day that the Lord has made. 
I shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hallelujah. and you saw each and every one of us. The Father's heart was the lost sons and daughters that happened after Abraham. He no longer could walk and talk with them in the garden, in the cool of the night. And his son Jesus, God himself, came on the earth and took flesh and blood on because legally he had to do that to take back what the devil stole from a human being. And he did that. And what that did is not only take away all your sins that separated you from the Father and give you the hope of eternity to live with the Father forever and ever in a place that his presence was. Not only did that give you loving kindness and tender mercy and redeem you from the destruction of the enemy, not only did that heal you from all sickness and disease, and the list goes on and on, but it restored communion with you back with the Father, that you anywhere, anytime could just close your eyes and commune with the God of gods, your Father, our Heavenly Father. The Father wanted a family, and he had you on his mind before the foundations of the earth, and Jesus restored that relationship back. That's a great big hallelujah. Glory to God. You know, it takes faith. But with faith abounding in thanksgiving, we should be the most thankful people on the face of the earth. Thankful, thankful, thankful. Because every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. And Father, we just stand here before you right now as your family thankful that you're a good God a good father faithful fabulous everything that we need you are and we thank you for that and Jesus we celebrate you Holy Spirit we welcome you move among your people this morning do as you will our hearts are open to receive everything that you have for us we bless you and celebrate you and glorify you in Jesus' name. Now, before we dismiss, we have uh, CityGate leaving today to Lancaster and Columbia. I'm going to ask all who are going to the CityGate ministry, please come on forward. 
We're going to pray for you this morning, and then we'll dismiss the children. Nathan, hallelujah. Come on up. See, uh, this is a mission church, and we do go into all the world, but being a missionary starts in Jerusalem. Is that what the Bible says? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Jerusalem is your home. Did you know you're a missionary in your home? Do you know we are to express Jesus with the ones who love us and are around us the most? Let that sink in. (laughs) It's our place, our missionary place, and then our neighbors, our work, our church, and then it spreads out. We have a local ministry here in Lancaster and Columbia where we feed the poor and preach the gospel. The good news, the news that sets you free, gives you a hope for eternity. So this is our City Gate group in Columbia and Lancaster. And let's just pray. Father, we just thank you that we are in the right place at the right time, doing the right things with the right people. We're spirit-led, that we have the voice of the Holy Spirit, that we're speaking forth uh, prophetic words, words of knowledge that get their attention. Father, we just thank you for the gifts of the Spirit flowing in our lives as we are about your business, Father. We, We release and yield our eyes, our lips, our hands, and our feet to you for the working of the Holy Spirit where we go. Father, we thank you that you bring the people in as we raise up Jesus. You said you'll bring in, you'll call the people. So we thank you for that this morning. Father, we thank you for your protection upon our lives as we go. We give you all the praise and the glory. Father, faith abounds with thanksgiving. So we are thankful to be about the Father's business this morning. We give you all the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you go with us because you support financially this ministry. So thank you so much. You get a part to play in that. And one way we love God is how? So turn to your neighbor and express that love and the children may be dismissed at this time. Kelly Burroughs headed up our VBS as she usually does this year. She did a phenomenal job. Let's give her a hand. We're so grateful for your gift. So many um, volunteers this year. It really was a great time. And I just want to say thank you to everyone that was involved, everyone that came out. We were just, Pastor Sydney and I were just so well pleased with all of you. Um, I wanted to share a few few things. So on the very first night, we had Jonna from uh, Iraq here with us, and she asked the preschool group, she said, uh, does anybody know what it means to be baptized? And we had one young man in the preschool raise his hand and say, yes, he knew. She said, okay, what does it mean to be baptized? He said, well, it's when they drown people. So on the last night of VBS, we had a baptismal, and I'm sure his parents had opportunity to explain to him the difference between baptism and drownings in the meantime. So (laughs) we also had an incident where uh, an arm came through the front window pane at a shocking rate of speed, and we are very grateful that nobody was hurt worse. 
And we were very, again, well pleased with the way our teams responded, the way everybody worked together as a family throughout the whole VBS. Everybody worked together. And there's just a, a unity and a drawing together that takes place when you do things like this, when you come together with one goal and one mission. And thank you to everybody. It was great. All right, well, we would like to welcome any visitors that are with us for the very first time. If you're here for the first time, can you raise your hand so we can recognize you? We have one right here. Well, welcome to CWI. We trust you're not here by mistake and that the Lord has something specific to minister to you. So we have an information card here if you'd like to fill that out and any prayer requests or anything like that that you want to uh, turn into the offering basket when it goes by. We'd be happy to agree with you in prayer. All right, does anyone need a cash envelope for your giving? Let's raise your hand. The ushers will see that you get one. If you're giving by check, you can make it out to CWI. If you're giving by credit card, do fill out all the blanks. And I just wanted to encourage you this morning to return the tithe in faith. Now, Every Sunday, we want to return the tithe in faith. In fact, anything we do, anything we give to the Lord, we want to, we want to do it in faith. You know, what makes anything we do for the Lord, anything we give to the Lord, what makes that pleasing to him is the heart we do it in. So man, they look at the outward appearance. Man looks at the outside, but God's always looking at the heart. So it's not the size of the gift. It's what the heart what the heart that it's done in. So I want to read a verse out of Hebrews 11, verse 4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So here we are, thousands of years later, still talking about Abel's offering still talking about something he did in faith. So don't let anybody tell you or don't tell yourself, you know, offerings aren't important to God. It's no big deal. Yeah, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't care about your money. Doesn't, no, the reason why offerings are important to God is because our attitude towards giving, our attitude towards offerings reveals a heart towards God. It reveals what's in your heart. And it, it said here that Abel offered a, <clears throat> excuse me, a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. If there is a more acceptable, then there is a less acceptable. If there is a pleasing, then there's also an unpleasing. So even though you are, even though I could do something, you know, I'm thinking I'm doing this for the Lord, but if it's not done in a heart of faith, out of heart of love for God, you know, that doesn't please the Lord. It says here in, um, backing up to the previous chapter, verse Verse 38 says, my righteous one shall live by faith. So God wants us to live by faith. And he's, that's what pleases him. He's pleased with faith. He's pleased with love. And love for God is shown by how we treat people. And you can see that in, in Cain. You know, he had neither. He didn't, ha I mean, Abel was commended for his, his faith. And by, by absence of God speaking of it, Cain did not have. And you can see that Cain, neither did Cain have love in his heart for God because look how he treated his brother. You can see how that played out. So to operate in faith, we need to first surrender some things. You need to surrender your way. You need to surrender your preconceived ideas or plan. Maybe even what you believed about God. 
Because you got to let go of all that and you got to step out in faith. You've got to trust. You've got to say, you know what? I, I'm going to let go of how I think it should be, how I think, how I believed before maybe. And I'm going to believe God. So when I say let's return the tithe in faith, let's give our offerings in faith, what am I saying? I'm saying let's expect. Let's be looking to what God said he would do. He said that the tither's blessed. So expect to be blessed. He said that the tither's provided for. So let's expect to be provided for. Let's expect him to prosper us. Let's expect to um, have your needs met. Amen? All right, let's take a hold of our tithes and our offerings. Father, we just are grateful to you, and we, we present the tithe to you in thankfulness. And we're just grateful that, that you care for us and that you want us to prosper and that you've made provision for us to prosper. We just ask you, Lord, to give us more revelation on how to live in faith, how to live by faith, and how to please you. Because that's, Lord, that's in our heart. We really just want to please you. And we want to live surrendered lives in every area to you. We just thank you for all the needs met in this house. In Jesus' name, amen. And the people will give to the Lord. We have home groups that are beginning this week. And we had one, one group that actually started this past week. And, um, but the rest of us are going to kick off our home groups this week. If you have not joined a home group yet, you can still do so. You'll find the uh, sign-up papers in the lobby. And we are going to be looking at, a, we're using a booklet from uh, Kenneth E. Hagan on the gifts of the Spirit. And so I believe the first lesson is going to be on the infilling of the Spirit, and that's really before the book. And then we'll jump into the lessons on these books. And uh, the lessons are in walking out those gifts of the Spirit and how they work and what they are. And I know that uh, many times people have questions on, well, what are those gifts of the Spirit? How do they look? And in everyday life, how do they show up? And so I believe we're going to get some answers And not only some answers, but that in those home groups, you're going to have opportunity to step out in faith into those things as the Lord works them in you. And sometimes, sometimes people just are too afraid. Yep, it's called fear and you need to get over it and stop it. But some, some people are just too afraid to operate in a gift of the Spirit, in a tongue, in an interpretation, in a prophecy or a word of knowledge or one of those things here in the sanctuary. And so we invite those things in this house. All right, You're always welcome to, to do those things. And um, we, we serve the Lord, not man. Right? It's His agenda that we want, not our own. Not some, not some church of the words agenda, but, but the Lord's agenda. And so what these home groups are going to do is to not only bring you knowledge, but give you opportunity to walk in those things. And then what we really want to see is see that in your day-to-day life and see it here on weekends and when uh, it's just a part of our, our habitual walk. How about that? And so our home group leaders, they're all here this morning, but the ones that are here, would you please come to the front, and uh, we're going to lay hands on you and pray, and I believe um, Troy is away this morning, and uh, his group has already started, but we have uh, Karen and uh, Gene English and myself, I guess, I'll lay hands on myself. 
and uh, Troy's group, and he, he, he's away at the uh, shore this weekend, so they're having an amazing time, I'm sure. I'm sure. He's sure. All right. Father, I thank you for your anointing right now on Karen, that you just fill her with all the wisdom all the anointing that she needs as she leads that home group. Lord, put in her. Give her the eyes to see, the, the ears to hear you clearly. Give her the ability to speak and to declare forth and to teach your word as you've intended it. I thank you for it. I thank you, Lord, that you anoint Gene, that you give him the eyes to see, the tongue to express, and the understanding that he needs to clearly lay out, to lead his home group into your full plan on the gifts of the Spirit and how you want to operate in those. Lord, I ask that you give me the utterance that I need to teach, to clearly explain, and to lead by example these things. Lord, we want to equip the saints. And that's what this is about, Father. And so we ask for your divine help. We believe we receive it in Jesus' name and amen. amen. Thank well, thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Larry, if you, well, maybe you can just, we'll come to you. And um, this week, Larry called me and uh, had a request for me, and I'm going to read a scripture to you. Those of you that have been here for a long time, you know how, how we roll. We just roll with the Word and what the Word says. And in James 5, it says this, it says, Is any among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church. They should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> and then this promise is what follows. So that's our part. It says, the prayer of faith will, W-I-L-L, not possibly, not maybe, not hopefully, but the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. So we put our faith in the Lord. It says if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Well, in the same way that we can be confident on the forgiveness of sins, we can have that same confidence for the healing of our mortal body. He goes on, he says, Therefore confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The intense prayer of the righteous is very powerful. Or one translation says that uh, prayer makes great power available. I like that. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again and the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit. Why would that be in there? He's saying you can do the same thing. He was a man like you. He stank when he didn't take a shower just like you. He got up groggily and needed coffee in the morning just like you. Say so he was like you, okay? That's the point. And yet he prayed, and his prayer changed weather patterns over the planet for three years. Not just one person's body that we're talking about. We're talking, this affects a nation. 
And so certainly the bodily healing that Jesus already provided at crucifixion, by his stripes we are healed. And that's the scripture we stand on. So Larry had asked if, if we would pray for him. He didn't ask me to anoint with oil. But you know, James 5 does, 5 does not say that call for your elders and ask them to anoint you. It says call for the elders and ask them to pray for you. And then the elders will anoint you. So he did his part, so now I'm going to do my part. And we're going to anoint him and we're going to pray. He has... Would you like to say something, Larry? No, I was just going to say I was about. Okay, well, how about you stand up? That'll be close enough. So, Larry, tell us where, where, tell us where uh, your faith is and what it is that you're looking to have accomplished in your body, and then we're going to agree with that and hook up with that. Okay, the uh, 12th, I go in for an operation. There's a, a blockage in my one shoulder here. And um, there's the one's 90% closed and one's 50% closed. I've got to put a, a stand in the 50. And um, I was just told this week that I have Parkinson's disease. We've been messing around with it for a couple of years, and finally they said that's what you have. But hmm. I don't claim it. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't right. belong to me. Right. And um, so, hmm. anyway... That's There's right. plenty of other things too, but that's those are the main ones. So I'm believing when you lay hands on me, you pray for me, God's going to do a work in my life. Amen. Going to save me and heal me and set me free. <laughs> All right. Hallelujah. All right. Wonderful. Hallelujah. You can just set it over here on the thing. this way. In obedience to the word, we anoint you with oil. We lay hands on you as Jesus instructed. Larry, be healed. Veins, be opened up. Flow freely in the name of Jesus Christ. Parkinson's, I bind you. Amen. I don't permit you on Larry's body. Amen. You leave his body Amen. in the name of Jesus Christ. We call you healed and whole, healthy, full of strength, full of life. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for this in the name of Jesus. Well, isn't Jesus wonderful? I mean, who serves a God like this that gives us such precious promises? I mean, He's given us promises concerning every area of our life. Right? There's no part that He overlooked or forgot about. From finances, something real superficial like that, but necessary, all the way to our very spirit being and our soul realm and where he touches all parts of it and it we serve an extraordinary God extraordinary God of course we live in extraordinary times 
So the Lord needs extraordinary people to live in these times, to do His work, to be His mouthpiece, to be His hands and feet in this day and age. People that are full of courage, people that are just <laughs> woo, full of anointing. Full of anointing. And there's only one way to be full of anointing, and that's to spend time in His presence. To be with Him. Because then, as He is, so you are. And what He is gets over onto you. And if you, if you spend your time looking at Him, and setting with Him, and listening to Him, well, then the actions you're going to take are going to look like Him. And, and obviously, because He is light, then light will go where you are.